0: Thank <laughs> you. Hello and welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, our series of conversations with the artists, labels, and promoters that are shaping the electronic music landscape. I'm Will Lynch, and I'm the Associate Editor of Resident Advisor. Though he keeps a pretty low profile, Dimitri Hegemon is one of the most important figures in techno history. Most know him as the founder of Trezor, the legendary club that kickstarted Berlin's techno scene and established the city's creative dialogue with Detroit. But by the time Trezor opened in 1991, Hegemon was already an accomplished promoter. Starting in 1981, he ran a festival called Atonal, which played host to everyone from Throbbing Gristle and Eichstazen in to early electronic acts like 808 State. Like Trezor, Atonal pushed Berlin's music scene forward and demonstrated Hegemon's vision as a curator. These days, Atonal is in the midst of a comeback. Last year, the festival was held for the first time in more than two decades at Kraftwerk Berlin, a breathtakingly enormous space in the same building as Trésor. As he and his team prepare for this year's edition, we invited Hegemon to Ari's Berlin office to reflect on his career in the city's music scene. Start, I wanted to talk about the Atonal Festival. The first edition happened at this point more than 30 years ago, which I'm sure feels kind of strange.
1: Yeah, it is. It was in '82, 1982. You know, I just moved to Berlin. No, I, I've been there already three years, and I came from a small village, and I came with a 4/4 four, four beat. You know, I was used to listen to Joy Division and the early Cure. And, Then I came to Berlin and I I heard sounds and noises and they were talking about the genius dilettantes and I became very curious, what is it, you know, it was so new. I thought I'm more, I'm avant-garde, you know, I listen to the alternative music, but then I got in touch with these groups called Sprung aus den Vulken or Einstürzende Neubauten and Malaria, um, White Russia or Notorische Reflexe. And when I listened to this this music, I was fascinated. It was so different from what I knew. And my plan was to bring all these projects on stage together. And we did it in November, 1982 at the SO36 Club. It became a very big success. It was, I use this name Berlin Atorno, because it was the music for me that was, different, it was not tonal, it was not full of harmonies, it was for me um, music, experimental music You know, and um, the festival was announced by John Peel in those days, I did not know that. And John Peel picked it up and I think he liked Berlin anyway, but the entire festival was completely sold out, you know, for an experimental festival it was a huge success. Thanks God, we made some moving movies. You know, we made some screenings about the first big Neubauten performance, and when they were young and wild and fresh, you know, and it, it was different. I mean, the music and the performance, comparing two acts like today, was much more interesting. You know, it was more passion. You know, it was something happened on stage. You know, they used this. Um, this, I say in German, Bohra, you know, uh, made holes in the wall, you know. I remember the situation, I was sitting in the backstage, There was a stage, and behind the stage was the backstage, just divided through a wall. And when the Neubauten were playing, performing, they and by a sudden, this boom, this, this this borer came through the wall, you know, close to my friend, nearly killed him. Things like that happened, you know, or they worked with other tools, you know, you use normally for construction work, you know, like they worked with metal. And uh, also they did things like body painting or they had super eight filming projectors on stage. It did remind me on this group like Taxi the Moon. I, I did a tour with, you know, they performed more on stage. It was good for the eyes, you know. So, the eyes were really uh, involved in the whole festival, and um, this is a bit missing today. If I see the act and just looking at the computer screen of their Mac. So it was very exciting and then we continued a year later in 83 and we brought some international acts into the festival like Psychic TV. And you must remember there were, the wall was still up and Psychic TV came with, I think with eight or 10 people and um, they wanted to see East Berlin and they got in, but West Germans didn't let them out. It was really weird. These days it was, um, we have not had internet or handies. It was a bit complicated to get it organized, but we were lucky to find a very old uh, factory space in, in the wedding. It was huge and we did the festival in November again and it was very, very cold, but people were very interested in the festival. It was also fully booked and sold out and I think it took four days and we um, came to our limits, you know, physically, and it was too much actually for all of us. I remember we, when we did the first festival, we um, we didn't use a big promotion, we just made a uh, we made no interviews or so. What we did was we went to the artists in to the places where they lived and we made photos how they lived about their living rooms, <laughs> kitchens and tents and fridges and uh, about their studios and that without any words, we released these images and people really liked them and I remember I was in London before the second atonal in Hackney. And I stayed with a friend in back road and uh, a few house, you know, on the same street, for the Genesis P. Orich lived. And it, it happened by chance. I met him in the street and I said, hey, are you interested to, to, to join our festival this year? And he said, yeah, why not come by in the afternoon? So I came by, I knocked at the door at 3 p.m. afternoon, and he said, psh, silence, and I did not know what was going on. So I came into this very tiny house in this apartment, and I saw this huge terrarium, like this table, you know, and this fucking big anaconda snake was inside. Four or five cameras were running, and this white rabbit jumped around, you know, just waiting for this moment. It was a bit scary to me, but it was, you know, I was curious. I said, "What's happening?" I didn't see what happening that day, but they came uh, a few months later to Berlin, and then I saw what happened. It was the first time we we organized a beamer, and uh, we showed this film about th- this moment of the big sign. <laughs>
0: So what was what was going on with the Anaconda?
1: No, I kind of I, I don't, I don't, yes. don't No, it was. I didn't like it, actually. But it was new, you know. We were just up for something new. And it was, you know, the, the name maybe Berlin atonal for the guys who were more in the, really into atonal music, like by Albenberg and by Bela Bartok and Schoenberg. And so they might be a bit disappointed. But for me it was very important to have a step before you enter this kind of music, you know. I am convinced that all the artists we know also have a second um, face or a second interest for another format of their music they write, you know. I talk to many of them and they like to to do another thing besides their normal sets, you know, to, to uh, start more experiments, you know, in their actual work and this is, kind of a preparation to enter another level or another way of for understanding or for listening to different kind of music, you know. And so I think the most people came in the 80s, listened to the festival and they were really open what was new or what comes next. So in 83, we brought Psychic TV and other bands and ZEV and then test department came Laibach, you know. And th- Clock TVA and later on also in the 1990 I did the last one before the wall came down. Oh no, the wall was just open, but we came up with this new uh, dance music. It was completely new for Berlin. Normal, ber- normally Berliners were standing up in front of the stage and you know they had this attitude: show us something new. You know they did not move. You know always in a mean face. You know <laughs> they were not. Uh, you know they uh, that was my, my reception you know, in West Berlin, that most of the Berliners have not had real fun, you know. It was a big depression. There's, there's, a lot of people were wearing black suits and so on. You know. But in 1990, then we invited groups like 808 State and Final Cut and Clock DVA. That was different, you know. People start moving their bodies and they start dancing. That was completely new. It was like a bridge. It was also this 1990 festival did present two acts, and I have released records before, like by Club TVA and from Sheffield. This, you know, this city where Human League came from. I uh, haven't seventeen, you know, this British elegant electronic music. And then also from Detroit vinyl cut, including Jeff Mills, we did we released this album deep into the cut. And if you listen to this album today, to both albums, you you can find out these first elements of techno rhythms, you know, very dirty, you know, reminds you a little bit on EBM, but very rough street sound. England on the other side, very nice sounds and so. But I think the result of both sounds it opens this door for the music we call techno later on. You know, for me the beginning. I mean, Germany was always a little bit late. You know, after England, but this 1990 festival was a kind of a bridge festival. After that, everything has changed. You know, together with this situation that the wall came down, and one year later, Final Cut. We stayed in touch with Final Cut in Detroit. They Jeff left the band and they started the project Underground Resistance and we started the club called uh, Tresor, you know, and so we got together again exactly one year later. It was, the festival I think was April 1990 and in April 1991, we opened the club. And we did need this time, you know, to get prepared for the big trip. And that we do Atonal now again, you know, 30 years later, 82 till now. Oh, it's 32 years? Yeah. Is it? Oh, wow. <laughs> I feel really good, you know, that this young generation picks up this idea to show new uh, formats of of music in, in sounds and in vision, you know. And there's always this interest, you know. But we haven't had, besides CTM, Festival that has its own house, you know. For me, also the architecture is very important where concepts of this uh, impact take place. You know, this is uh, very important. I think space plays an important role in the whole context with this music. It would not work so effectful. I mean, a concept by Steve Reich or by. Uh, Glenn Branca, we have had last, we have seen last year, or voices of the lake. If the space would not be perfect, you know. Can you
0: describe the space for people that don't know what it is?
1: The space is an industrial ruin, a former power station, and it's a kind of unfinished space. It is not painted white; everything is rough. You know, you can hear the the walls speaking you know, to you, and it is kind of a romantic situation if you go in and uh, you get really, uh, there's kind of wake-up calls happening to you and your fantasy starts thinking, where am I? And um, many, many ideas go through your head. It's a very special place. It's like an industrial cathedral, you know. It's huge and it's perfect for this kind
0: of festival. Yeah, I'm interested in um, the connection between... Atonal as a festival and um, the wall. It's interesting to me that this turning point, where the attitude changed and people started dancing, um, that it happened right as the wall was opening.
1: I see this point you're talking about, but it was also it has to do with the development of the music instruments, you know, technologies. You know, the electronic music just started. You know, it was the early acid house, Atari's, you know, came around and also this DJ thing became popular. Before the world c- wall came down, we have seen in Berlin, West Berlin, a few acid house parties. House was not, nobody really took it so serious. Some special parties, but I didn't realize that it was really happening in Berlin, you know. Some gay parties picked up house, but I don't know. More popular were acid house parties and, um, the first keyboards I've seen or the first drum computers and software programs of the Atari computers have been used and um, it was very fresh and it was a bit complicated and the sound was a bit naive. I remember DVA already played with a Mac 2000, which was just on the market. So it was very young and very, very fresh, this electronic sound. But when I saw the Detroit guys, they, they still worked with Reel Tape, real to Reel, you know. They, I remember days at Mark's house, Mark from Hardwax and uh, when Juan Atkins uh, tried to double some parts of his recording, so we doubled and we used the Reel to Reel and made an edit and taped it and <laughs> made another edit, you know. So this was really handmade, all these tracks. And I saw on the other side in Berlin the first digital editing stations, you know. So um, if this machine would have not been there, I think this, this kind of dance music would not have happened, you know. But on the other side, you are right, this enormous euphoria in the city did expect something new. In those days, when the kids from east berlin came over and the west kids went to east berlin there was no control you know and i think we have had music like disco high energy we have had rap we have had garage we've had punk and rock and so but this techno scene was fresh and young and new and wild and no words no lyrics so that Everybody could join it, you know. It even did work in Poland, you know. So I think for my, many people it was easy to, to join this movement, you know, especially the youngsters. I think also kids from East and West Berlin agreed to this music, you know. If they would say, no, it doesn't work, it would not have happened, you know. It was a a common agreement from both parts of the city. This is our soundtrack for the reunification of the city. this is the music we dance to now you know and it was also the symbol of this new generation you know for this new electronic music. The electronic community did start in these moments you know when the wall came down and there was no other city like Berlin where it could happen. When I look back today we had had maybe in the early 90s, maybe three, 4% foreigners, you know, on the door, but it has completely changed, you know, it may be 95 or 85%, you know, of international guests, you know, who maybe also move to Berlin and uh, live here and work here. And uh, this just happened in 20 years or 22 years, 24 years. If I can say something, Something good for this music is that techno became the door opener for many other formats we have seen in Berlin for investors who said, Oh, something is possible here in the city, you know. Also, investors who came up with the uh, idea to establish fairs for art or for fashion, you know, and for graphic design. And this actually happened because. The electronic music demonstrated such a huge growth and movement. We remember the early love parade activities. It was incredible. And these were the images they went through. CNN, young dancing people in the streets of Berlin. Since these days, Many things have changed, but it's interesting that this has happened without any order by the government or so. It just happened, you know. And many times I've, I ask myself, you know, why did it could happen? You know, why arts is, uh, was uh, many years before in West Berlin, a group of people or West Berlin was this island for open-minded people, you know, they were collected in West Berlin. It was this island when you have had problems to find alternative concepts for your life in West Germany or somewhere else. You moved to West Berlin, you know, and you met so many other open-minded people.
0: What do you mean about um, if, if you had problems in your life or like, what would be an example? Of-
1: an example, for I was 18 or 17, 18. I, I really loved my small village, you know, with 700 people. And my radius was maybe eight miles, you know, some other small village, but I really liked it, you know, family, friends, and I knew everybody. But then I decided to live on the countryside with friends, you know, to start a community, you know. I was 12, 13 when I listened to the sounds of of Woodstock, you know, and I liked this idea, this hippie movement somehow. And I transferred it to my small village and maybe asked for an old uh, ruin in the country. It was a, like a small castle or something, you know, but completely fucked up. And with my friends, we seriously thought about to live there together and have a band and fix it again, you know, and just live there. And we wanted to be different, you know. I didn't want to have this life like my parents have had. And we were friends, but then we asked, for instance, the landlord, and uh, it maybe took two minutes, and they said, fuck off, you know. And this happened again and again, you know. They did not respect us, they, they thought we are crazy. So they sent us out of our hometown you know and I tried it many times to to stay there because I loved my my childhood and all the friends and finally I ended up in west berlin and it was not easy to live in west berlin but the people i met in west berlin they have had similar stories they told me similar stories still today it's the same problem you know the young generation maybe who could might change something in their home cities, you know. They do not find platforms where they can start they don't hear this yes, you know, with you together by a mayor. you know, yes, you are great. We need your ideas. Together we can make it, you know. But most of these people go or well, they go today everything's easier, they can go somewhere else. I mean the Costs for traveling or for communication much cheaper, and it's much more possible. So young people go everywhere. For me, it was a big, big trip to maybe to go to London, you know, or to Barcelona, you know, or even New York was like pff, this was the sensation of five years. <laughs> if I actually only knew somebody who came from New York or who drove there once to New York, this has completely changed. So this is a serious problem a lot of communities, small communes have to face today still. They do not understand that these young, fresh ideas come from people they have in their commune or com, commune or... Community. Yes. community. you know, in their village. Eh? They, the people are there, you know, but the people who make decisions in the cities, they do not understand. They don't listen to them, you know, to this creative young kids. So they all move to the bigger cities like Berlin, you know, and uh, it's actually the... Um, situation we have here it's much more it for me it was much more tolerance you know and this tolerance was not given in my home city and that was a reason that many many people came to west berlin in addition they all formed this uh, very creative humus you know there is this book out by richard florida the rise of the creative class it came out in 2002 and he described the situation about the multicultural environment, you know, of a city. If a city has this multicultural environment and can offer this tolerance, many young creative people move there, you know, and feel all right, you know, and it is, this is the situation in Berlin, and this is also the reason why different companies move to Berlin, you know, and are sure we find these people we need for our company in Berlin. This is also a key information for cities who may be getting more boring and boring and greyer, that they behave more open versus creative young people, you know, and that they offer more tolerance. This is, I think, one very important step. We just do a project with friends. I call these friends Happy Locals, you know. All these are guys, they they run an own company, you know, and started with nothing. Maybe a gallery or a club or a restaurant or an IT thing, you know, or or maybe they do a network thing, you know, they run a small agency, but they all, and they all agreed to to share their know-how you know and they would give it to people who need this know-how so the happy locals intend to make locals happy in smaller cities so and this was one of the reasons we we went to Detroit and with some ideas who might could function in Detroit you know and it worked out really well and um, also smaller cities you know in around Berlin we have 10 cities, let's say, in, in Brandenburg, with 20, 30,000 inhabitants. And they're all getting more gray and boring, you know. We have too much creativity in Berlin, but I think we need also this, this surroundings, you know, this these suburbs, and we should find a format to give know-how to them and to help them, you know. And it would be good also for the Berliners, to bring more activity and uh, social engagement into these small communities. We developed this plan with the Happy Logos and we, at the moment we work in one city, but it's still the old problem. The mayor also, they never take this young generation serious. They're far away from reality and they don't know what is the Facebook generation, what they're doing, you know, they're all suspicious, this young 18, 17 years old kids. and. And we try to take over this moderation between these two different groups and we take this experience Berlin has made when the wall came down. It was give kids space and let it be, then something comes out. And if we can coach these guys, these young kids from the cities who want to do something like small Dimitri when I want try to, to find a platform in my home city, you know. And I would have stayed there, you know, and uh, I would have changed something in my home city. I went back there years ago, but it's really boring. there no movie theater anymore, no theater, nothing, nothing left. And for me, art or culture is the only key, you know, to, to keep a community alive and to make it, keep it interesting and to make locals happy, you know. I guess it seems like Berlin has uh,
0: before and after the wall was kind of a um particularly extraordinary example of a platform for you know art projects and just culture in general. But, I mean, I feel like um as you're describing the eincho and concerts, just how incredibly wild they were, like um that kind of thing I feel just wouldn't have been possible in another city with a more normal political yeah. situation. Um, like Berlin had, was uniquely prone to, to give rise to that sort of strange stuff.
1: I think, you know, a very simple thing was that um, we have not had this police hour, you know, and there's very few spots I've seen here in West Berlin. So they were open all night through, you know, this was completely new. It offered an equality for for us as young philosophers, you know, to find new directions in in, yeah, In our small ideas, a new direction in music, in our small philosophies. And we were spending hours and hours till sunrise, you know, in bars. And we met two other open minded youngsters from West Germany. We changed the world, you know, in those days. This was not possible, even in my home city, you know, when I maybe wanted to hang out with friends 16 years old. It was. Uh, No way, you know. Sometimes during the holidays, we had a a fireplace or we we had some tents, you know, and that was also nice. But in the normal life, you know, when we went to school, there was no spot where we could exchange our ideas. I remember there was one from a friend, he has a mother and she had an old garage and we fixed it. We were 16, 17 years old, you know. For the first time, we met girls, and it was you know you, there was no place to kiss and so and it was it was a disaster you know it was very difficult everything was difficult everything was forbidden you know so we really enjoyed when we came to Berlin and as this it, you lived in a house everything was anonymous you could you had the feeling I can do what I want to do you know and I really woke up here you know in West Berlin and then I met people at the university that had a similar story. I was um, I was happy. I was really happy, and I got also this special passport, you know, a green passport. When you were registered in West Berlin, you had this special passport. So I was really proud on that, and uh, I think we were also a little bit arrogant, you know, the Berliners. But the spirit was different, you know. We had Berlin was financed by the by West Germany and by the allied forces, you know. A lot of military, a lot of Turks, students, uh, laborers. You know, there was actually no industry. A lot of universities, we have senior and and so it was this legendary Atlantis. You know. <laughs> In, I did realize this later. You know, when when the wall was down today, how how great it was. You know, but. That we could hang out in the night was very important that we developed the future in the night and especially this music also this, there were people that could not play even one instrument. They just made music you I know, said, that's great, you know. And they said, fuck it, you know, I don't care. I can maybe play one riff or, or nothing, but I can maybe, you know, I can make noise. And also discussion we have had in the bars, you know, in Kreuzberg, I remember it was also completely new for me, you know, it was, I had the feeling I'm in a paradise, Now everybody understands me and it has motivated me because Berlin offered an artistic freedom, you know, for many of us. And there was also not this control, you have to function, did you do this? How far are you, you know? It was great. I could organize my life by myself and I realized I don't need so much. And I find people think like me. And so this was all new comparing to the places I came from. You know?
0: It seems like um, Atonal and even Trezor kind of these celebrations of that freedom that you're describing and that sort of open-mindedness, that, you know, that sort of event, that kind of music is um, a pure reflection of, of you know the, the possibilities that that environment gave you.
1: Yeah, but it's still possible, you know? But Berlin has really to wake up, the city has to wake up and to make sure that they can, that they save this kind of creative centers. They're very important for the future. This kind of Freiräume, we say, free spaces, like what we do at the power station at the moment. This kind of space is so important for this kind of development. And it looks that, the people who are in charge for culture in Berlin now wake up a little bit and think, okay, this is this is serious. You know, this kind of attraction bring us the visitors, you know, the people into the city. Looking back, I, I I'm convinced that maybe the big Berlin hype has to do also with maybe just one, two, three attraction, you know, Berlin. People in Europe have heard about Berlin. there There's these two spots, you know, you can do what you want to do and we want to go there. And it works like this, the book of flight through EasyJet and come to Berlin and want to go there or there. But on the way to this spot, they, they find some, another feeling of being alive in in the city and they find other things, you know, they really like, you know. They find inspiration everywhere in small streets. It's so different and it's affordable. This was enough, you know, to bring people over this kind of attractions, you know. I tried to think about Detroit again and they they need more attractions. Maybe they have this one festival, but it's not enough that people come over, you know. They have space. But it's also not enough that people come over. They need more things like what we have, you know, and uh, I don't know if it works out. But Berlin has all these things and... uh, But it was very simple, you know. It worked out. The city did not invest any money into marketing campaigns, you know, come to Berlin or visit Berlin. All these things came through different channels. And finally it was this alternative, wild, uncontrolled, subcultural movement, you know, that has formed Berlin as it is today, that has changed the the image of the city. And I hope it will stay because the city of Berlin or the department called Visit Berlin, the marketing department of the city, They want more now, you know. They have seen 25 million people or registered hotel nights, you know. There were more. There's Airbnb overnights are not in in COVID, but 25 millions in the last year. Now they want to have 30 millions, you know, and that brings this danger that maybe people come to Berlin who who really want to make business, you know, that. The danger is that we cannot keep promoters cannot keep the quality in restaurants, in clubs, you know, galleries, that it's that this competition becomes really hard. Yeah, the business, the commercial side, that
0: was always kind of the um missing ingredient. Or the, you know, the fact that there was never that much competition or or commercial interest in the city, I think it seems like that's part of what
1: made its, you know, unique mm. culture possible. But it made other things possible, you know? I think the competition, we feel it now, but it also, you feel it between clubs and so This has not been in the 90s. We didn't know what it is, this competition, actually. Now it's, it's uh, became reality, you know, and uh, not so nice, I think. I also think it's not so necessary, you know? But at the moment it's happening, and I think also money is not the, the most important thing. Many companies in Kreuzberg, for instance, where I live, survive and have a good time, and that's enough. Projects like Carter Holzig or Holzmarkt or once called Bar Twenty Five, they come up with a complete new attitude. They just say, "Okay, we do this together." You know, it's a project. We know we never really make money, but we will have a good time. You know, and. That counts, and they demonstrate a new quality of how things can work, even if it's very expensive. How to find fundings, you know, for their ideas, and this is this was great. I mean, we one guy Mario who in charge of the business there. He accompanied me to Detroit also, and he. Made a presentation how they got finance, you know, through Swiss foundations and so. On. There are possibilities how, that it can work. And on the other side, I must say, even the, the fashion and the art fairs do not bring the big money. You know, it is it's okay, it works and brings people into town or into the city, but there is no big big business behind it. I think the real estate, these guys, they they try to make real business here. But um, it's also a problem that too many forts happen now, you know, in Kreuzberg forts. Maybe that maybe um, houses are made for residential, but next to a club and so on, you know, and this brings problems. And we have these cases now. That near the wall, they built this uh, this building, you know, because the city made a mistake, and these are problems. Uh, they uh, we have to see what will happen, you know. It this is a, you feel that this uh, gentrification is really happening now, and uh, I feel it also in Kreuzberg that the city becomes more expensive now since two years, two three years. There is a big interest of uh, people just buying complete houses, people with money. I don't know where they come from, but they just buy complete streets, you know? And I don't know what it will, what does this mean in two, three, four years, you know? So, yeah, it's the old story, you know? If something becomes too big, you know, finally it collapses, all the cultural activities get thrown out and... We have a contract still another 15, 20 years with this power station and we expect to to make a foundation that tries to buy this building and to keep it as it is for bigger experiments in, in art and uh, in music so that we can keep the stage in the inner city area. You know, So this is my idea and we see what will happen. I cannot guarantee it, but the next 15 years are safe, and so I'm happy And we, that we we have also a new senator, Tim Renner, for art, and uh, Berlin is spending, just Berlin, for culture, spending like 500 million a year for the opera houses and theatres and different projects. It's quite a lot, you know, just for the established culture programs, and... I talked to him and he's very open, you know, to take care that this kind of spots stay alive and uh, he understands why people coming here, he understands how important this subcultural work is. So I put a lot of hope in to his work now and to his um, activities and I hope that we have a discussion soon and that we can tell him our our mind what we want to do and what why berlin is still function i think he will understand it and that's very important if he understands it we can expect his support it is not about money but it's just to help with permissions and uh, that he uh, sometimes negotiate with neighbors or with owners and can tell him that it's important what we're doing that berlin needs his places you know that he bless us and other locations and people who are working on in this genre. For me, actually, we do have two new projects. It's like uh, I want to do, I want to establish an academy for subcultural understanding. This is kind of a very small academy where we transfer know-how to people who maybe come from the countryside and want to do start something and, and they don't know how it works first we interview these people and then if we think they are all right they take it serious what they want to do their plans then we uh, bring them on another level and we coach them over two three months you know doesn't matter what they want running a gallery or opening a club or an agency if we can help you know through the happy locals we do that so the Academy for Subcultural Understanding, I call it the ASU, you know, it is. it can transport the Berlin experience to other people who need it, you know. I'm very excited about it. so I can become professor end of my life and last. And also other people, you know, if I look back, you know, we have seen so many people in our team who have, did bring, did develop a big know-how in small things, you know, even maybe, to structure and get organized the storage or so you know they could tell me how much money the club made at night they just looked at the coca-cola cases you know and said "Well, we sold this and i think and then they said the turnover must be this you know so they have this know-how and to talk to these people you know if somebody wants to know this it's brilliant you know you learn so much you wouldn't learn it on the university, so I think it could become a kind of a spot where special know-how get transferred you know to people who want to know this. Also how to talk to people from the council or so we can help you know they take us serious more serious now. They asked me in Thessaloniki in Greece uh, and in another city in South Germany. Uh, the happy locals, who are you? What did you what did you do so far? Which city did you develop? And we just said, just one Berlin. And then they said well, they were calm and said, okay, I understand it. This Berlin becomes now also a, a brand, you know, and it opens doors and then they say, okay, what did you do? And because members of Happy Locals come from all different parts of mm-hmm. cultural business or whatever. And this is also interesting to see that they all want to share their know-how. It's a very social thing, you know. I like this idea and I'm looking forward to do this project. That means also for people who became older and do not work anymore in the club or so, can transfer their know-how to people who need it. And the second thing is, I work on a project, it's called Hamlet. And Hamlet is an old residential house for all, all the people, you know. They didn't fix it, they didn't bring it to an end, and we want to make an, a residential for artists. You know, how, how do you want to live when you're getting old, you know? So we're working on this. We got also a financial support from a Swiss Foundation, and I think we start very soon. Maybe we have place for 40 people, 50 people, and also for people who want to have a studio, you know. It is like, and we have Big co work spaces there, maybe also for you might be interesting. It's in Kreuzberg. And this house has not been built to an end, you know. So we just leave it and we work with experts who know about in farm gardening, or we want to build up a garden on the roof and different things. It's a very interesting project. It could be also a project that could be uh, copied somewhere else, you know take a ruin and fix it for 50, 60 people, you know, make a small city in a house and bring an interesting mixture into the house, you know. And uh, even especially the gold generation are people who about 50, you know. So what can we do with all these people? I had to face this situation you now because we had Trezor is you now 25 years old and we have some people who are still work there from the beginning and uh, it's, difficult, you know, for them also to work in the night, you know, because time has changed and it's a young club and it works with young people, young music, young trends, and what to do with these people who have invested a lot of years into this project, you know, and uh, so I think maybe we can, we have a solution with our, uh, with this academy or with this Hamlet project, you know, so we see what we can do.
0: It's interesting to me that, um, With the Hamlet thing you're describing, and also with Holzmacht, it feels like there was obviously a time in Berlin where um, this sort of interesting, spontaneous cultural stuff happened naturally. And now it feels like we're in a period where people like you are going through a lot of effort to make sure it keeps happening in Berlin because it's not certain that it will. Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I think. When I talk to mayors, sometimes, you know, we have a, in Germany we have a kind of it's called Deutscher Städtetag. It's an organization of all mayors of Germany, maybe 400 are involved. And once a year they meet in Berlin. Many of them in my age, you know, and so I can talk to them, you know, and, uh, or they're younger and it's easier, you know they take you, they take me more serious, you know, when I say, oh, gray hair, white hair, and so on, seems to be okay, and then I tell them, I talk to them, and again and again, I'm so surprised that these problems they have to face in the small cities, actually simple, you know, simple problems, but they, some are blind, but I think Looking back, it was difficult, you know. Nobody took you serious, you know, nobody. Even in 2005, when we had to give up the old treasure, the old vault, at the old ruin from the Wertheim building, the first biggest department store ever in continental Europe, we wanted to build and we had an investor, a cool investor, too. we wanted to make a, a treasure tower on top. Number one address, you know. To, But they didn't realize it in the city. They just sold the grant to somebody who offered the most money, you know. And such a big mistake. And I hoped we could stop this thinking, you know.
0: It seems like you have a personal mission to prove to people how healthy and legitimate this kind of countercultural stuff actually is for a city to have.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I belong to a group of people who keep things moving, you know, like what we do. It's very important to correspond with uh, some other parts in the city, you know. I'm my job is kind of a intermediary. I understand the, the language the people talk in the clubs and so, and I also understand the language the city council speaks, you know, and so I try to make things possible, but I also have to warn people who wanna do this because it's not easy. Sometimes it gets really on my nerves. Really, it's very de- uh, frustrating also because we know some things I have done like Trezor or the craft Berliner Berlin and some others, but there are so many things that did not, that could not be realized because some stupid (laughs) obstacles in or some stupid persons stopped it you know one case was an old waterworks i got and uh, i was in arizona and talked to james turell the light designer and he was open to establish first some works of his collection in berlin and later maybe there was this chance to to start a light museum in an old waterworks an old water tanks in the old part of West Berlin. Everything was done. He came over with his architects, we planned everything, but then it got stuck. One year, two years again, I asked and tried to find answers and solutions. Three years, four years, five, six, seven, eight years, and then it was over. But everything was prepared, you know, and Berlin would have had a, a James Terrell light museum. You know.
0: And it was just kind of bureaucratic
1: yeah. nonsense. Bu- stuff. right. It's- exactly. That's still it's still happening. Same happened in Beijing. We, did a, we got a great spot in Beijing and um, we uh, started a cooperation with the Goethe Institute. And uh, this place was never been used before. It was very close to the Lama temple. and. We made the plans. We got the permissions, you know. And uh, wow, we were so excited. I flew a couple of times in to Beijing, and we cooperate with some Chinese people. And then boom, the uh, first financial support by Goethe did not work. They changed mind, or somebody was fired, and it was a bit too much for us. And. Then it got stuck and then like two months later, a big flood came (laughs) into Beijing and flooded the whole basement. It was difficult, but we were so close, you know, sometimes you're so close on a thing and then boom, it's over. But this makes you strong somehow also, but I must say, if somebody wanna go this way, he must must calculate it, maybe 60% never works out.
0: I think it's interesting that um you've know, you got this kind of bug for wanting to make these things happen, these sort of uh, unusual manifestations of culture, whether it's a techno club, an experimental festival, this light museum. I guess what's interesting to me is it seems like this appetite for for these sort of things. Obviously, you got that in West Berlin in the 80s. And um, you said before that in a strange way, part of you kind of misses the wall. And I I feel like maybe this... You know, all of this stuff is in a way kind of like a strange cultural benefit of the wall's existence. It created this, you know, bizarre environment in West Berlin where people had a special kind of inspiration that even decades after the wall fell down still lives on and, you know, still makes the city um, unique. I mean, in a way, it's like you're trying to preserve some part of the atmosphere of West Berlin when the wall was up.
1: Yeah, it is. Um, you are right. You know, it's a, a romantic thing. You know, we project so much things into West Berlin. You know, people who have never been there. They now they are free to project everything into this part of Berlin. Once and, and I must say, it was true. Everything was happened there. On the other side, it makes sense also to keep this old spirit alive. And when we look into this this ideas or into this attitude, then it's all about to keep up freedom, you know, in different ways, you know, what you wanna do or what you wanna realize. And you also see that it's very important to have people who prefer or prepare the stage you know or the uh, actual spaces where things can happen you know it's so important you know the to prepare the platform you know where other things mm-hmm. will start i say no venues no parties you know and the other thing is how the quality of venues you know i saw concerts in the uh, academy of arts in berlin by the chronos quartet in, with neon light and horrible, you know. It was like a, a deutsche Sparkasse, you know, in the opening room or in the lobby of a Berliner Sparkasse. And it was it did not work, you know, things like that. Berlin by the wall was always a space for me, my reception, City of Ruins, all these films, the movies I've seen, they played after the war, 45, 46, you know. They was played in this kind of spots. And I personally like, I'm a romantic person. I like ruins more than the, uh, I put aesthetics, you know, I accept it and I think both formats live together. We have the, these high trash clubs, you know, but we also have the glamor clubs and both worlds exist. But I believe that the trash surrounding or the ruin generates more power, creative power, you know, for new ideas, for new thinking, even for new problems.
0: (laughs) I mean, I guess that's, you know, the way you just describe it, it's like a a single ruin can create, you know, a creative atmosphere, but it's it's also sort of true of Berlin, you know, in a broad sense that ruins foster um, creativity and new ideas.
1: Yeah. I mean, I did my work in the last, I mean, I started in the 80s or so until today. And for me, the, uh, the best moments again, after all these years and all the things I've seen and also the travels are these moments in the, in the clubs, you know, where where well, these components fit together, you know, space, music, sound, you know, the people, the shadows, the light. This is great. I'm not a big fan of huge festivals. I'm still feel right in the ruin, you know. And I think also the uh, the history of clubs like the Trader's is has made is very authentic, like a human life, you know, you come up, you rise a bit and then everything collapse again into a gap and then you try to start again and it happens again, boom, you know, you fall down. And we live yeah. with this development, you know, because there's a new generation coming up after this first generation, the next generation, you know. Most people go to Trezor today, uh, they have not been born when we started, you know. And uh, So we are not upset if we make mistakes. It's very, um, it reminds me of my life, you know, on everybody's life that you do mistakes and that's normal for us. But I think you always need people who um, believe in the uh, success of art, whatever format it is that you really believe in this. When I met James Turrell, you know, he's a bit older than me, he still works for this masterpiece, The Roden Crater, since 35 years, you know. It's still close, he doesn't let anybody in, you know. It's not public, and he really fascinates me. And I ask, where does he take his power from? But he just lived for this idea, you know, and... Um, and I, I followed this, this thinking, this attitude. You know? And it needs just a few people who do this, but they're very important. I can also say it was never the reason to make money. You know, This became, when we did the, the label, the record company in the 80s, we were just looking for a, a stage where we could perform our music and our groups and artists. And uh, that was the reason behind. It was not to sell liquor or so on. You know? And so the reason why we started this was an, another reason like maybe business people do that and needs a percentage so and we made so many mistakes. I think we made all mistakes you can you can make you know if you start a business. the uh, belief in this idea was so strong that we even if we have had a gap, we continued you know, and uh, I liked it, but I'm really happy about that. People of like uh, Lawrence and uh, von Oswald and Harry Klaas and Paolo, they continue with this idea of a tunnel of this early idea. You know, create a festival where complete different formats come together. You know, and I try to push them daily. You know, bring also literature or bring people and write about it. You know, bring people with computers and bring more performers. Make it more. Eccentric the festival, you know, make it interesting for the eyes, also, you know, and risk something, you know, some real experiments, you know? and yeah, it works. I'm very pleased that they like this idea to to use the space and to bring the right content into it. So it's good that I can accompany them, that I can offer them this, this power station, you know, for this project. But on the other side, I'm, I'm also convinced that they take over this old idea and bring it to success. You know. And I was so happy that last year, after 23 years, when they started this festival again, so many people enjoyed it, you know, and that it still works. That means the old idea is still very uh, update, you know, they're very modern. <laughs> It's great. And uh, I must also say, since we have this space and we, we keep on fixing it, you know, I think by end of the year it will be fixed and then we we will definitely do a few great parties. Uh, maybe not every week, but a few great parties in the complete building, you know, the entire building up and down and just working on a ghost train situation down in the basement, you know, it's huge. It's really huge. I have some meetings also with some very important artists, uh, light designers I don't want to talk about this now but if this works out so I bring people from different art genres together to form a, a masterpiece you know with a space that would be perfect but it looks good and good things need time you know to I don't want to make compromises anymore No, this is but um, I think Berlin will enjoy a good time for the next years, as long as they keep these kind of sp- spots alive, you know. This is the challenge they have to face, the politicians. But as we have seen that the senator for culture now is somebody who comes more from the rock and roll side, not more from the classic opera side. S- this brings hope and uh, I see, I'm looking forward and I'm very uh, confident, you know. Earlier
0: on, you, you explained how stuff like 808 State, the early techno stuff dovetailed, you know, it led directly out of all the avant-garde stuff that had been going on at Otonal. It uh, no, see. it's a situation in those days in 1989,
1: 1990 was that the star, the new star was the public now because they moved for the first time. Normally the Berliners just were steering at the stage, you know, and now they became the stars. They became... Uh, they start dancing and moving. This was such a new thing for me, how it's, you know. But the experimental thing was also the work with the machines, you know. Like when Clock DVA performed with the Monitor wards, you know, with huge. With the films, you know, they did for each track. I uh, was great, or even G- GTO was great at the one, they still work with big projections. 808 said, okay, maybe I was not sure, but it was so new in those days, you know, it was also something new because the tunnel always intended to bring uh, new developments a continental Europe has not seen before, you know, so that was like the first appearance of 808 State, but also the um, other groups on that day were like Final Cut, you know, they came in and it was, it was also kind of industrial stuff, you know, but we always had, different stages we've had different stages and other stages there was very experimental art groups also Um, but the main stages were have been played by by these groups i must say also the uh atoll 1990 was in a very small spot we only had 900 people or so in it was took place at the kunsthaus britannium and in Studio one, it was a nice, nice place with an old kind of a cathedral, you know, like the, but it was not everything was wide, and we had to paint the whole cathedral after it It was a problem, but I didn't like it so much, it was not so much, but I like more this kind of power stations and factory halls. this was my world. Then the wall came down. This was also a new situation in those days. Everything was complicated. You must understand when we did this festival in small teams. We never have had support. You know, the first one we had a bit of support from the senate, but after the festival, we were the complete team was always bankrupt. You know, we had to hang posters. You know, I have to give German lessons or Latin lessons. You know, to get the money. And it was it was normal, but it was. Uh, We were satisfied that the festival took place. and was successful, never financial, you know. And I think we lost so much. But we were all happy that we did it and we were proud of it and uh, it was good for Berlin. But uh, it was never commercial, you know. It it actually could not cover the costs we've had. So we planned this loss and... uh, we never have had bars, you know, income from the bars or so, or, or, or the promoters just gave us Mondays and Tuesdays, you know, the people, the, not the promoters, the people who run spaces. That was always complicated, but it's still of that, these bad conditions, we uh, we did it. I
0: feel like when um, you were first putting on these techno acts in Berlin and when Trezor opened, I, I imagine that music had a similar kind of avant-garde feeling to, yeah. to what had been going before. You're right. But, um, that. but that probably doesn't feel that way now, I would imagine,
1: or does, no. does it, it no. you feel like that, that spirit was lost over the years? Well, I mean, the young generation, they don't know the early days of Trezor, but I think sometimes I ask myself, I don't know what counts. Is it the name? On the one side, okay, there is, if Jeff Mills comes or Robert Hood, so big name people know. And I, I saw both in Detroit. Both were great, great perform. But I would really like to to make a deep cut and, and bring Mr. Nobody on stage, you know. Because there's so many good DJs. I don't know all the, all these names. And you know, when I see, I think Trezor brings every week I don't know forty DJs on stage or so, one hundred fifty DJs or more. It's coming and going. I this is different, you know. This is really different. I knew every DJ in those days. This old, oh, they come in, they get out, and it's uh, this business lost control a little bit. Also, I think, and you know? I only can say it was different. You know, when we started, the Detroit people came to Berlin. They stayed here one week, two weeks. They played five times in a row. It was also good, you know, and. Uh, now it's difficult sometimes to get them on the phone, you know, and it's busy, 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 or I cannot play, I have this deal with them, and blah, blah. This, has, this this kind of business became really strong. And in this moment, I really sort of think, let's start again with a new project, you know. I mean, we made this small try with a club called OM, OHM, and it's really good, you know. We don't talk about so much, but people find the way, and, it is like the old Riziko or a club called Mink in West Berlin, I remember. And people really enjoy that, you know. But this is uh, the Kreislauf, you know, the circle, you know. You come to a point and then you start again. Even the Love Bread, you know, when it became too big, it collapsed. I also warned these guys, you know, but they didn't listen to the basic anymore, to the ground control. but. They took off and they sold all rights to these strange T V stations and commercial companies and then it collapsed. That is normal, you know. I'm not surprised. So this could also happen to Berlin if the city wants more and more and more and more, you know, it can collapse and maybe maybe not tomorrow and not day after tomorrow, but it it is dangerous and I think we should stable this this success, you know, this reputation. It's good. We all have good living here and We don't need more, I think.